Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm glad you're with me again. I'm glad you've downloaded yet another six years and running, if you can believe it. Uh, I'm excited to be talking today to Amy Julia Becker. Um, she and I have known each other for many years, but I'm trying to remember if we've been in the same space together ever, or if we've only known each other digitally. I'm not exactly sure. We were part of a writer's group together for many years. She's still in that group. And I am, I finally decided I was a talker, not a writer, <laughs> not that I'm not a writer, but, um, but I, but I haven't been writing anything lately. So there you go. Well, let me just do a quick introduction of Amy Julia before we get into our topic for today. She is an award-winning writer and speaker on faith, family, disability, and culture. Um, she's authored several books, um, including one that I've talked with her about here on the podcast, White Picket Fences. And if you don't recall that, um, you might uh, head back to the archives and, and take a listen to that podcast. Um, you know, it's subtitled Turning Toward Love in a World Divided by Privilege. Um, very important topic. But today we're going to talk about her latest book, which is called To Be Made Well. Ooh, I hear that and I just kind of breathe a sigh. Isn't that what we want? To be made well. The subtitle is An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. Amy Julia Becker, welcome back to Faith Conversations. Oh, thank you for having me. And I agree. I love even just hearing you say the title. It makes me want to sigh. Yeah, really, right. You Desire know? and gratitude and all the things. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, what's always interesting for me, and I think other people too, is to hear what's, what is behind um the title of a book, what is behind the larger topic in a book? Um, an author doesn't just go, oh, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write about this. They don't just pluck topics out of the air. Usually there is a deep, especially Christian writers, you know, a, a deeper personal connection to what it is that they're writing about. So what is that story for you for this book? Yeah, so this book goes back, at least in terms of a direct origin story that led to the book, uh, almost seven years, which is mm. to say White Picket Fences was written in the time frame that this book was also in development, first in that kind of amorphous, it's just happening in my life, and I have not decided to write about it, much less figured out how to write about it, um, which went back to a story that I tell in um, the first chapter of the book of being a young mom who had moved to a new town. My husband had gotten a big job um, and I had not left my career behind, but was definitely more in the primary parent, default parent <laughs> role right. than I had been before. And we've got three kids and they were little and, um, and I was not doing well, honestly. And then uh, over time developed some chronic back pain. So it was 
that experience of eventually meeting with a yoga teacher and experiencing some healing uh, of that back pain in this encounter with the yoga teacher, which was quite confusing and relieving to me all at the same time <laughs> because I felt a lot better. But I also was like, wait a second, like, how do I make sense of this? I mean, it felt like a miraculous healing. Like mm. it felt to me like Jesus had shown up and put his hands on my back wow. and said, you're okay now. And I didn't understand that for two reasons. One, I wasn't sure that happened anymore now that we've got like antibiotics. And then two, <laughs> I was sitting and talking to a yoga teacher who had left, you know, left her Catholic faith and did not speak in spiritual terms that I was speaking in. And I wanted to make sense of that. So mm -hmm. it really led me on this uh, personal healing journey, but also an investigation of healing. But again, it took years for me to have the words, the experiences and the perspective to be able to say, okay, I understand and have learned enough to want to write about this in a book, you know, not just in yes. a blog here and there, but actually to put it together and try to offer it to the world where it's not just for me, but it's actually something God has now done in me in such a way that I think I could, yeah, could bring it to some other people. So that's, that's the origin story. Well, and what I love about, um, writers, um, you know, that something is happening in you that you over time, um, start to make sense of start fleshing out the fuller story. And then eventually it comes to us as this, um, you know, finished project that then we're able to take in and we glean real help in our own lives. I mean, that's part of the gratifying piece of it too, for an author, right? <laughs> Totally. I, that sense of what has happened to me, in me, through me, you know, that, that there yes. is, um, I mean, I think, I, you know, we always have to be careful not to too quickly jump to sharing when you're a writer, especially at this day and age where it can go immediately up on right. any social media platform. And, you know, I, I, I do think sitting with whatever truth or mm -hmm. questions um, for a while is pretty important. It has been for me. And yet there's a tremendous blessing in believing that what God gives me, I can give to other people like that. I love yeah. being able to do. And I think we all get to do that in different ways. I just get to do that through writing sometimes. And uh, this book is one of those times. And I'm really yeah. grateful for that. One of the things that I love that you do, you tell wonderful stories and, and I, it's amazing. I mean, I know this, but still, when I read someone's book, it's always interesting to me how, what I, what I remember are the stories, the stories matter. The stories mm -hmm. are part of the transformational process. And one of the things I wanted to say right here at the outset too, is I think, I think you've broken the book down into three really helpful parts um, as I was looking at it, you have the, the nature of healing is the first part of the book barriers to healing and participation in healing. And I really like that because we can talk about what does this healing process look like, but depending on how we talk about it, it can be helpful or not. We can walk away going, yeah, I need that, but don't really have any kind of idea what to do. I feel like you have really laid it out. Well, that's just my perspective. Well, thank you. The outline alone took I, I, months. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> I totally believe that. Yeah, to kind of figure out, because, 
you don't want to be um, prescriptive about it. You know, one plus two equals three, like right. that's not how healing works. And there's a sense of there's a movement from personal healing to healing out in the world. And yet it's not necessarily linear. And mm-hmm. that's true when it comes to our own healing, you know, connecting mind, body, and spirit, connecting to God, connecting to other people. Like there's a, both a messiness and a fluidity to all of it. But at the same time, over a long period of time, it became, I was like, okay, I need to explain what I mean, the nature of healing. Like, what are we even talking about here? And then what keeps us from that? And yet one of the cool things in writing that middle section, the barriers of healing was this sense that even though there are barriers to healing and it's helpful to name them, they also don't impede God from continuing to heal. Right. Because it can seem, again, even just the title of that can be like, oh, okay, knock down the barrier, do my work, and then God will, you know, and it's like, no, no, like Jesus is right there in the midst of the barriers. So let's be clear on that. And then participation in healing, that sense of, um, you know, again, going back to Jesus's words, your faith has healed you. That sense of you are a part of this healing work in your own life, but also you are then sent out into the world to bring some measure of the healing you have experienced and that um, wonderful mystery that we get to participate in the life of God as we go. I mean, I just think that's so beautiful and, yeah. and really empowering at the same time. So those that's eventually that was where I landed, but it took some work to get there. Well, and I love, um, I lead a Lexio Divina group at um, our church um, weekly. And we've spent the majority of the time it's been over a year, but the majority of that time has been in the gospels. And then our church has been kind of working our way through a chapter at a time, um, the book of Luke. And so I loved, uh, in the section on the nature of healing, um, where you pointed to a couple of different gospel stories. And I think it'd be helpful for you to talk about, um, what you mean, what is the nature of healing? What, you know, to talk about, um, you know, Jesus, uh, you, well, I'm going to let you go where, where you want to go with this, but I think that this is foundational to the book, you know, the nature yeah. of healing. And I think we all come to this topic with various interesting feelings. Some of us, uh, even the word with the word healing. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I grew up in evangelical circles and, yeah. And that, that is a loaded word. For sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that for me, one way I've gotten into the topic of healing is through our daughter, Penny, who is 16 now, but um, was diagnosed with Down syndrome when she was born. And so the world of disability has a little bit of a like tricky relationship, especially in Christian circles with the concept of healing, right. because so often people assume that they know what healing would mean for someone with Down syndrome. Whereas someone with Down syndrome might be like, no, I'm not looking to be healed of that. You know, I um, actually read a lot of theology of disability that Mm -hmm. has been really helpful to me in this process. And um, one of the theologians is a guy named John Swinton. And he was the one who said, you know, in the West, we have this understanding of health that is biomedical in nature. And there is no equivalent concept in the Bible. There's no biomedical understanding of health. The closest thing we've got is the concept of shalom, which is right relationship. It's not, you know, feeling physically fit or all of my limbs work the way a typical human in the prime of their, you know, life um, work. And so 
he really helped me to start reframing my own understanding of healing. And that was long before I was working on this book. Another guy um, named Brian Brock, who is a theologian and has a son with Down syndrome, wrote a book uh, that I read more recently called Wondrously Wounded. His son, uh, Adam, has both Down syndrome and autism. And Brian writes about Adam being the most healthy person he knows. He's had a lot of biomedical complications, but he has an experience of the presence of God that Brian would say he, he as his dad does not have. And he's like, that is what health is. It's to experience God in your whole being right now. And so I think that has really informed my own viewpoint on things and helped me to look back at Jesus's experiences with people, because on the surface, it looks like Jesus is just trying to go around fixing people who have, and that seems a little bit like, well, you know, do they really need that help? Like, are you sure? And is this just about medicine? And now we've got Advil, you know, like what, what's, <laughs> what's really going on here? And those were a lot of my questions when I went in to look at the gospel stories and to start to recognize that um, even the language in Greek that Jesus is using, not that he was speaking in Greek, but the, the language that Jesus was using to talk about healing was not about biomedical changes in a body. It was actually this word that gets used over and over again is a word that the root is so-so, uh, which gets translated saved very frequently in other places. And so when Jesus, um, like when Jesus, for example, is interacting with Zacchaeus and he yes. says, salvation has come to your house. Like that's the same root word as when he says to the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, your faith has healed you mm. or to the blind man, your faith has healed you. That, that word is the same. And so there's this holistic nature of healing that is wow. not just talking. And in fact, might even be more talking about the mind and the soul and the reconnection to self and to God and to one another than it is about anything that's happening physically. Uh, and I think that's really different than how I, as like a Westerner and as a Christian have thought about healing in the past. Well, I'm just thinking when you gave that Zacchaeus illustration, you know, salvation has come to your house, how much different we might begin looking at it. If we, if it was translated, healing has come to your house today. Totally. I mean, I, I, and, and I, and it makes me think how, how much have we lost in translation? Right. Even though there are wonderful translators that are working on scripture, I, you know, I guess the more I read, the more I realize there, there's, there are also translators with agendas and, you know, and all of this and it starts getting confusing and difficult. Well, and especially when you do actually have the same word. And obviously sometimes words should be translated differently in different contexts. And yet what we've done in the West is we've divided the mind, the body, and the spirit. And that's true whether you're in like a medical context that has nothing to do theoretically, at least with spirituality, right? But even that, if we, if a doctor purely treats a patient as a physical being and not someone who is connected to other people and to some sort of spiritual and emotional reality, well, the doctor is not going to do their job. But similarly in the church, if we don't recognize the ways in which our bodies are a part of our spirituality right. and right. A, the way God made us and who we are, then we're not going to do a good job. Like salvation is not just about the afterlife. It's not just about our souls. It is about a restoration of our entire person. And the, this word in Greek gets at that in a way that we don't know, at least I don't know how to in English. 
do you think that a shift is happening? I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, I worked in Christian radio for decades and, and I feel like maybe toward the end of my 30 years, Mm -hmm. it was starting to happen, but boy, more recent than not. Yeah. I still see a lot in Christian circles of that divide between body and spirit and a sense of once I get done with this flesh that I've got, right, then I'll be okay. Um, The kind of the idea of like the sweet by and by, as opposed to a more, um, a different understanding of our embodiment and of what God wants to do here and now in our physical, not just our physical bodies, but our physical world. Um, But there's, at the same time, there's so much in our Christian and Jewish scripture, right? That like speaks to that, whether it's the incarnation itself right, <laughs> um, right. Uh, or just the creation, like God as creator. And then also the way in which, again, looking at Jesus caring about people's bodies and their spirits, their money and their time there, you know, all of these different aspects of who we are, are significant to Jesus. And that means they should be significant to us. But I do think we've lost a a lot of that. Although I will say, I think that's coming back in um, some people's return to like more liturgical spaces where there is even just a use of the body in prayer, like kneeling or taking communion. Like we do have physical practices even as Protestants, um, but I, but we don't always even remember that they are physical. Yes, and then I, I agree see that like in the medical context too, where more and more doctors are recognizing that there is like almost any illness is, has a relationship to stress. It doesn't mean it's your fault that you're sick. It just means that if we can't recognize that whether it's emotional stress or environmental stress or relational stress or physical, whatever, that's going to affect our bodies. And I think people are more and more recognizing we have to connect these things or we will continue to be in pain and disconnected and falling apart. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, a hundred percent. And so it's, you know, so I think it's really books like yours, right. To be made well, what a great title again, that especially for someone who's walking forward in um, a Christian faith walk um, can be really, really helpful. Uh, what, what I want to, I w- want us to go next to talk about what are some of those barriers to healing? Um, Cause I think, you know, if you would ask people to throw out words or, you know, what are some of the barriers they think there are to healing? I'd be curious if they would line up with what you have to say here. And, and I'm wondering how you came up with your particular barriers to healing that you decided to write about. Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I've wondered myself, so throughout the whole book, I'm using a story in Mark chapter five of, uh, that's often called like the bleeding woman and Jairus, right? So yes. we've got Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler um, or leader who has a daughter who is sick and Jairus comes to Jesus asking for healing for his daughter. And then we have this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She's anonymous. We don't ever know her name. And she reaches out to Jesus for healing. And Mark sandwiches those two stories together. So that's running through the whole book. And on some level, I was looking at for them, what were the barriers to healing? Like what in this story are those? But I also was thinking in my own life. So there was a sense of, I, there were some things 
things I knew I wanted to write about. And I hope I didn't like shoehorn them into the story that was already there. Um, but as a result, I mean, I basically, one thing I knew I wanted to write about was distraction because I know that I can live on the surface level and our, and our modern world allows us to stay there. I think far more so than ever before because of entertainment, but also busyness. And I write about just the distraction of like having another glass of wine. There's just a, a sense of our consumption and our productivity can actually, in addition to our actual like iPhones, um, distract right. us. And that was the one where I was like, am I making that up? Like, or is that also true in this story with Jairus and the uh -huh. bleeding woman? But it's really interesting because the crowds are like a figure, not just in Mark chapter five, but throughout the gospels right. who can really get in the way of Jesus. And so there was, I was like, oh, I'm actually not making this up. It's not the, I mean, obviously like having a iPhone is not the same as a crowd, but I think there's something there in terms of the ways that we've always have been distractible and kind of kept from uh, really understanding our need is the way I think that can keep us from healing. Yes. Um, and then I also write about shame and fear, which are related, although not the same. And I think those are um, ways that we are kept from healing, either from thinking we're not worthy of it. Like I kind of, it's, it's not for me because I'm not good enough. Um, or it's not for me because I'm afraid, like I'm afraid of what will happen if I ask for this. I'm afraid of what will happen if I look for help. I'm afraid of um, any number of things. And so I'm going to try to control the situation instead of um, surrender myself to it. And then the final barrier I write about is status. That was the hardest one to come up with kind of a, a name for it. I mean, I think privilege could be a name. Achievement could be a name. I went with status because Jairus seems to have different barriers to coming to Jesus than the woman does. So right. for the woman, there's shame, there's fear. For both of them, there might be this crowd distraction thing. But for Jairus, it is a really big deal for him as the leader of the local synagogue to fall at Jesus, who's this itinerant rabbi who has not been well-liked by synagogue leaders right. before or after this encounter, for him to fall at his feet publicly and say, I need your help. Um, and, and so he had to really overcome whether we want to call it pride or status. Um, and I just have done a lot of thinking in my own life about the ways that that can, that sense of myself as um, needing to prove myself being important can keep me from acknowledging need and asking for help and coming to Jesus. Well, I, and I thought that the barriers that you wrote about, um, I, I think they're really true. I'm, I'm like, as I, I'm looking at them cause I have, have them specifically right in front of me, but I think it also that they also can help people, um, do a little bit more inner work and ask themselves some questions about their own life, about where, where do I fit? You know, where, what are the barriers to healing in my life and see if they come up with anything outside of these, or, um, if they really realize, you know, at first blush, they read the list and go, no, 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 no. And then they read further and go, yes. And <laughs> yes, you know, because I think, I think that's what, I think that's what we need. It, um, at least that's what I'm seeing more and more. We need 
um, people like you who are doing the deeper work that invite us into the deeper places in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just don't want to read another book. I want, you know, I want to be invited into a deeper part of my own story that maybe I'm not aware of yet. Yeah. And that's, and what I find about um, to be made well is that it's very invitational. Mm. And as a spiritual director, I'm, I mean, that's, that's the operative word. We're always being invited Mm -hmm. in, invited somewhere. I mean, that, that's the, the word. And so I think that, that there's this great promise of people being able to, to um, understand and see and start owning some of the barriers to their own healing that maybe they've just not seen before or not seen in this same way. That's my take on it. I don't know what you're, what you think. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you because my hope for this book would be exactly what you described, which is an invitation to deeper work, because I think um, there are going to be people who line up exactly with my story, who are type sure. A perfectionists or who have a child with a disability or whatever. There, I hope, will also be people who are like, I'm not really like you. And this still invites me to do some of that work with God, you know, yes. that, that, and so that is very much my hope. Um, I'll take shame, though, as an example, because shame has been kind of a buzzword in recent years. And I was like, yeah, it's not really something I struggle with. I, I don't know. Shame. Nah. You know, again, I would have said status was something. And but then I actually read um, Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame, and he was talking about some of the catchphrases that he hears from people when he knows that shame is operative. And one of them was not enough. And I thought, oh, that's one. Oh gosh, maybe this is relevant for me. And I started thinking about how often I think I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, you know, whatever it is enough, enough, enough. Yes. Um, And it really helped me to start doing some of that digging and deeper work to recognize what it meant for shame to drive me. Um, and it was, and to recognize when my thoughts start going in that direction that I can even say, oh, wait a second, that's shame talking. Where's that coming from? What's going on there? Um, in a different way than I, than I truly knew before. Yeah. Um, the same would be true for anxiety, that there are areas of life that I see other people feeling anxious that I am not. Right. So that can make me think, oh, I'm not anxious. Um, and then I, you know, whether it's my mind racing or my inability to sit still and just rest and relax, or I mean, on down the list, or the various physical, you know, the back pain or the eye uh, um, irritation. I got like these very red patches around my eyes at one point during COVID, and I went to the dermatologist, oh. and she was like, "It's about stress." <laughs> like, no way. Like you didn't rub your eye with the wrong thing. Like you just. Are stressed out and you don't want to believe it about yourself, you know? So yeah, I think we all encounter most of these in some way. That's great. Just what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I think, you know, we, we have to carry on though and talk about um, participation in healing because I think, I still think we live in a climate, Western society, whatever that tends to look at someone else is going to heal us. We, we, you know, I, I think our first inclination is not how do I participate in the healing, right? 
And I think for Christians, we can think that that is like a works righteousness yeah, idea. Okay. That like, if I think I'm healing myself, that I'm not relying on God, right? Or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think that's true in both kind of a, you know, more secular and a more um, religious space that we can be afraid of the idea of participation. But and honestly, for me, this was a real, um, in this story about um, the bleeding woman and Jairus, but also in multiple other places in the gospels, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And it's a very strange statement because we know in this story specifically, a few verses earlier, she's reached out her hand and Jesus feels power go out from him. Right. And, and her bleeding stops. So we're like, no, no, <laughs> it was your power that healed her. Like this statement doesn't make any sense. Why are you saying this? Um, and yet he says it repeatedly, not just to her. And so I really spent a lot of time like reading commentaries and just praying and thinking about like, what does that mean? And I think it is an invitation again, where it does not negate the primacy of God's role in healing. Right. But at the same time, it does invite our participation. And I think that's true both in terms of us needing to do that, connect some of that, at least connecting work in our own lives of being willing to acknowledge our need and ask for help. Hmm. And then um, Greg Boyle, who started Homeboy Enterprise oh, yeah. in California. So his most recent book, um, he writes about surrendering to healing. And I think that might be another way of saying participating in healing, where it's, again, surrendering seems more passive, but it's also that sense of believing that I am beloved and that God wants to make me well and, and, and not to know even what that might look like in every case. I don't think it always means that, you know, I go back to having the same body I had when I was 18 or something, you know, like I, that's not, that's not what we're talking about, but that sense of, um, Believing my own belovedness, I think, is a part of participation in healing. And then there's a sending out. There's another aspect of participation that is participation in God's healing work in the world. And that's where acts of mercy and justice and bringing the love that we've received in our own lives out into our personal relationships, but also like the broader society. I think that's another aspect of participation in healing. What what might that look like? What, what, and, and I also, I don't, um, I, I want to step back before coming back to communal healing, mm -hmm. social healing. And I've talked some about that here on the podcast, but let, I want to go back to spiritual healing for a minute. Um, what, what might that look like for us individually? Just say a little bit more about it. I want to get a better handle on that. For me, the way I've thought about spiritual healing has been um, reconnection or restoration to self, to God, and to others. Um, okay. And maybe the spiritual part is primarily to God, but I do think that there's a spirituality to our understanding of our own being and our relationships. So I don't think it's only about God. I mean, right. kind of back to that, we're not divorcing the body and the spirit idea. Um, but I do think that understanding both our creatureliness, like the, the neediness and limitation and vulnerability and the giftedness and um, kind of empowerment, like being made in the image of God as um, part of who we are. So we've got both this 
we're creatures. We need one another. We need God. And we have been given gifts to bring into the world. I think that's part of it. But maybe even deeper than that is what I've um, started calling believing our belovedness, um, mm. which is to say, before I've done anything right and after I've done everything wrong, right? Like there's still good. a love that is true. Yeah. Um, and that is inherent in my creation. And that's true of everyone I encounter as well. Uh, and so that doesn't negate the idea of sin or brokenness. I think that's very real and present in each of our lives. Um, but there's a deeper reality that is what we come from and what we are returning to. Um, and certainly what Jesus came, I think, to connect us back to that is the reality of our belovedness. Um, and that to me is, a, for me too, has been a profound aspect of spiritual healing. And, and I'm thinking about the the bleeding woman. Um, I'm thinking about spiritual healing here for her. I'm thinking about the, the holistic nature of, you know, Jesus calling her out, calling her forward, right. Not just letting her slink yep. away physically healed. There's that sense that the community now knows she is no longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, pariah or, um, what's the word? <laughs> unclean, unclean or whatever outcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's that. So, so it brings her back into community. And then also because she's been an outcast, she has not been able to offer any of her own gifts to the world Mm -hmm. as well. So I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that full orbed view. Um, well, and the other thing there though, is Jesus uses the word daughter yeah, speaks to her. And it says in the text that she comes trembling with fear. So it's not, we're not totally aware, but certainly Mm -hmm. there's something that she's afraid of when she Mm -hmm. comes to him. Mm -hmm. And then he uses the word daughter to get, like, if she has a name in this story, it is daughter and daughter of Jesus. Like it's a profound, and this is all again, sandwiched in this story of Jairus who has thrown himself at Jesus's feet because of his love for his daughter. Mm -hmm. So there's just this profound love that Jesus is proclaiming. I believe that this woman has from God. So that I think is a real aspect of her spiritual healing is being named daughter in general, but also in, to your point, like this public way where everyone who has said, why are you even out here among us? You're not supposed to be here for Jesus to be like, this is my daughter, you know, like don't mess with her. She is beautiful. She is beloved. She belongs to me. Um, I, I affirm who she is. I think that's a really profound aspect of her spiritual healing. And honestly, for me, that is, goes back to that uh, personal sense of needing to understand what it means to be a beloved child of God. Um, not just like, a, you know, valued servant, but a beloved child. That's good. And I love your phrase, believing our belovedness. That's, Mm. that's good. So take us to communal healing. That's the one I wanted to go back to really. I, cause I, I grasp social healing, talk about communal healing and what that looks like and, and how that was elevated for you in your own life and story. Well, I think there's a sense of, um, if we think about like, um, 
some of Dr. King's writing even about how, and like he writes a lot about the beloved community and I guess um, spoke and preached a lot about this, but that sense of we are woven together in a garment, right? Um, right. Of, of destiny. And so when we are torn apart from one another, it's not only the kind of people at the bottom, so to speak, who are suffering. There's a suffering that's happening in all of us when we are so torn apart from one another. And again, in my life, I saw this, um, in a more personal way with a child with a disability and recognizing what I had lost as a, an able-bodied and, you know, person, intellectually able person, my life had never been one that with encounters and relationships with people with physical or intellectual disabilities. And I was missing out. Mm. Like it wasn't just, oh, they deserve my help. It's like, no, 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 I need them and they need me. Like, let's, you know, this is, but that sense of reciprocity and being um, knit back together. So I think there's a communal healing that happens when, whether this is in the context of a family or a school or a church, you know, some very local community, not just social on some bigger level, but these local communities recognize who um, belongs there and expand that understanding. Because again, I really think it helps us to believe our belovedness and to see our interconnectedness um, and to receive and give in these relationships of mutuality and not of hierarchy. Uh, And I think that's when we really understand a deeper nature of love and connection than we have before. Well, and also I love, um, that you bring it down to the, and, and emphasize, or, you know, and you're mentioning just now of the local community and the local nature. I mean, that's where, that's where our lives are lived, you know, not on this grand scale. Right. Right. And so if this, yeah, bringing, bringing all of this in the context or reading all of this and thinking about all of this in the context of our local communities too, I think is really significant. Um, what do you hope somebody who, who reads to be made well walks away with? What do you, you know, what do you hope they take with them? So on some level, I hope everybody takes something different in the sense of what do you need from this? Like what, what can God do in your life from this? Because I do think we're all at different places, but then on a more broad sense, um, one of the I don't know, almost like taglines for me from this book has been that healing is for each of us and for all of us. Mm. That sense of there is a personal and like a particularity to where we need healing. And that's what I mean by it's for each of us. And seeing the fact that both this woman who is, you know, outcast and dejected and poor, she is healed. And this man who has a name and is powerful and, you know, he experiences healing. Like, it's given in very different ways and for different reasons, but they each need it. And I think that's true, but it's also for all of us. It's not like Jairus doesn't need it just because he has a house and a family and wealth and power, um, or she doesn't need it because she's not worthy of it or because, um, you know, she's already got everything she needs or whatever. So the, the healing is for each of us and for all of us and that we get to be a part of it. I mean, I think that's just so beautiful. And, um, both humbling and empowering to think that we get to be a part of healing in our own lives and in the world. So that might've been three different things I just said. 
<laughs> that I want people to well, take away. Yeah, but I think uh, I think you're, the first thing you said is true that it it likely will be something different for everyone because of the way the book is laid out. I love that. And I love that participatory piece a lot. So thank you for that. Um, mm. Just great to talk to you and kind of th- dig a little deeper in the, the specific passage in Mark, looking at those two stories and also thinking further, deeper, broader about healing. Amy Julia Becker, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Anita. It's great Great. to be here. So good to have you. To Be Made Well is the name of the book, an invitation to wholeness, healing, and hope. And as always, I say, keep the conversation going.